morning, I want to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 5. Again, we're in Romans chapter 5. This week, we are beginning our Advent series titled Gifts for Our Anxious Age. We're going to be spending the next three weeks of Advent in, in our passage in Romans 5, 1 through, a letter, 1 through 11, as we unpack the gifts that Jesus has brought us in, our, in his first coming, the gifts that he's given to us in the midst of our anxious age. Before Sung comes to read the passage, I'm going to briefly pray for us. So pray with me. Oh, Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning acknowledging, acknowledging our need for you. We need you to open our ears to open our eyes that we may receive, Lord, the good things that you have for us in your word. Holy Spirit, I'm so grateful that you desire to be at work in our lives and you use your word to do that. And so I pray this morning that, that in the act of preaching, in the act of, of hearing your word preached, that you would conform us and change us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. So meet us this morning, we pray. Amen. Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, son. I got it. Well, George MacDonald, the Scottish poet and pastor, once wrote, I am a little weary of my life. I am weary 
of weariness and strife. As I've thought about our Advent sermon series, this quote has, has come to mind time and time again because I think about all of us living in our quote-unquote anxious age, as some have called it, it seems like we're all a little weary of our lives. It seems like we're all weary of weariness and strife. Can you relate this morning? Are you feeling tired and weary? Well, that's not exactly the right question, is it? Because the truth is, I know something about you. You know something about me, and that is that we are tired and weary. I think the better question for each of us this morning is to consider why are we tired and weary? What has us feeling tired and weary this morning? What, what are the realities weighing on our hearts and minds this morning? What are the situations that are keeping you up at night? What are the, the circumstances, the relationships that seem to always be on your mind? As I reflect on the reality again that we are living in what many have called an anxious age, it seems like the answers to these questions are endless. As I got in my car to drive to church this morning, the report on NPR was about the triple-demic that we are experiencing. They were particularly highlighting the RSV um, I don't know how to pronounce the S word, so I'm not going to even try to, to do that. But the respiratory viruses that are going around, we have the realities of the flu and COVID. Um, that are, these things are driving up hospitalizations. They are causing concerns about overwhelming the healthcare system. You need a reason to be tired and weary. That is a good one. Think about dysfunction in our political parties and our political system. You have the war in Ukraine, you have inflation, none of these things even touching on the deeper social issues facing the United States. You think about things like the loneliness epidemic, the the persistence of discrimination, racism, and hatred, the rise in addictions and mental health disorders. We are truly living in an anxious age where there are many reasons to be tired and weary. But it's not just that we're living in an anxious age, because it turns out that you and I have anxious hearts as well. We are are tempted to anxiety in our day-to-day lives, and this is understandable. As the the late biblical counselor, David Paulson, uh, was fond of saying, he says that we have plenty of good reasons to be anxious. We have plenty of good reasons to worry I mean, I just think about how many of us can feel anxious about our family and our friends. We can be anxious about our children's futures, about just the the difficulties going on in our friends' and families' lives. We can think about the the spiritual lives of those close to us whom we love, and we can can worry um, about those things. They can can fill us with weariness. In this way, you and I can, can be like the Apostle Paul whose, whose love for the churches that he planted led him to be anxious about how they were doing. But not all of our anxieties are godly in this way. I think for some of us, if you can relate with me, some of our anxieties can be caused by mulling over, stressing out about worst case scenarios that might never happen. 
Or maybe we can allow ourselves to be consumed by all of the what-ifs of life, and surely there are many of them. We live in an anxious age where we are weary of weariness and strife. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning to be reminded of these heavy realities? Well, thankfully, we're not ending things here because this morning, as the title of our sermon series suggests, we are not just looking at our anxious age, but over the next three weeks and four sermons, we want to explore together what Advent and Christmas have to say to our anxious hearts what Advent and Christmas have to say to our anxious age. Because as we are going to see in Romans 5, Advent and Christmas show us that we can experience real and lasting peace, joy, hope, and love in the midst of our anxious age. Advent and Christmas show us that peace, joy, hope, and love are gifts that Jesus has brought to us in his first advent, in his first coming, that you and I can open now and we can experience right here, right now, no matter what's going on in our lives. And this morning, we're going to begin by looking at the gift of peace. This morning, we're going to unpack what this peace is, and then we want to see how it transforms our way of being in the world, the way that we live our daily lives. We're gonna see the what and the how of this peace that God has given to us. And this morning, the sermon's gonna be a bit different because we really are going to zero in and camp out on the phrase that Paul says in, in Romans 5.1 where he writes that we have peace with God. This morning, we are going to unpack this phrase, peace with God, seeking to apply it to our lives. And so let us look again here um, at our passage for the series, and let us look at Romans 5.1. And, and beginning, in verse, beginning in Romans 5, sorry, in verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in chapter 5, Paul is beginning a new section in his letter to the Christians in Rome, and he begins by summarizing everything that he's written up to this point, where he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. In the first four chapters of this letter, Paul has gone to, through great lengths to unpack the doctrine of justification by faith. He's shown us why we need to be justified or to be declared righteous in God's sight. He's, he's shown us that we all stand guilty before God because of our sin in need of his righteousness. He's shown us why we need to be justified, and then he transitions to show us how God can justify sinners, how he can justify us, he can declare us righteous, and he does this through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at the end of Romans chapter 4, right before this section, he shows us how we receive this justification as he shows us that it is through faith alone not through the law or not through our good works, that we receive this justification, that we receive this new relationship with God. 
And in here, as, as Paul says here in Romans 5, he says that we've been declared righteous by faith in Jesus. And in the rest of this chapter, specifically in verses 1 through 11, what we're going to look at over these next number of weeks, is he unpacks, he, he transitions from explaining the what of justification to unpacking the gifts or the blessings that you and I can experience that accompany our justification. You see, because as amazing as justification is, it's not merely a legal reality. Because as Paul shows us here in Romans 5, our justification has profound relational implications for us and for God. And we see this very clearly in the first gift that comes with our justification, the gift of peace with God. As Paul says in Verse 1 here, he says that we have been justified by faith, that since we've been justified, we have peace with God. Now, for you and me, when we hear this phrase, peace with God, it can be really easy for us to miss the full weight of what Paul is saying. Because oftentimes when you and I hear the word peace, the way that we use it here in English, we, we generally think of, of just the absence of conflict. We think of, of peace as meaning just there's, there's no hostility, there's nothing negative going on. I think the, the phrase peace in the Middle East captures this idea perfectly. We, we, we think of peace as meaning there's no hostility, or maybe when you think of peace, you, you think of just this inner sense of, of calmness or, or serenity that we can experience. Maybe as you hear this word peace, you think of the idea of soft music or maybe the, the faint sound of waves crashing upon a shore comes to mind for you. You think of, of peace as just this inner serenity that we feel. But while these are elements of what the Bible means when it talks about peace, the reality is that in this phrase, peace with God, it is, it is much deeper. The, the biblical idea of peace is much more robust because it doesn't just speak to the absence of hostility or to this inner peace that we can experience. But when Paul here in Romans 5 talks about our peace with God, he's referring to the reconciled relationship that we can have with God. He's, he's unpacking the peace that he's unpacking, he's unpacking what it means for you and I to be at peace with God, to have our ruptured relationship with him restored. And to help us feel the weight of this reality, to, to help us hear this, this re, hear this phrase, peace with God, in the same way that the original readers would have, what I want to do, as I mentioned before, is, is unpack this idea, this concept of peace with God across the storyline of the Bible, locating it within the, the paradigm of Scripture of creation, fall, redemption and new creation with the hope that as we see this idea of peace with God, it will, will land on us in the way that, that Paul desired and that we would really be able to enter into and experience this peace that we have with God and that we would see how it changes how we can live today in the midst of our anxious age. And so the story of our peace with God begins in creation, in Genesis 1 and 2, we're given, a, we're given a picture of how God has created us to live. And at the heart of this picture 
is the experience of perfect peace between all of creation, but most importantly, the peace that people experienced with God. As we look in the Garden of Eden, we see a relationship of perfect peace of, between God with Adam and Eve. We read that God would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, showing this intimate relationship that God had with his people. He is a God who desired and desires to be near to his people, living out this relationship of love because of the peace that they have with him. And as a direct result of this peace that Adam and Eve shared with God, there was peace in every other area of their lives. We see that Adam and Eve were at peace with one another, and their relationship with creation and culture was one of peace as well. In the Garden of Eden, there was no anxious age, but one of true peace, where everything in their lives was as it should be because of their peace with God. As we think about our own lives right now, as we think about our longings for peace where, where everything in life is as it should be, as we look at the world around us and we see the world desperately searching for, searching for peace, this idea of peace with God and creation helps us to understand why. You see, you and I, all of us, we long to experience peace in every area of our lives and in the world around us because this is how God created us to live. We resonate so deeply with this experience of peace because this desire has been written deep in our bones because it's a central part of what it means to be created in the image of our God of peace. As we look at this idea of peace with God, the pattern set for us in creation is that to be at peace with God, is that if you are at peace with God, you can experience the peace of God in every area of our lives. That's what we see in creation. We see Adam and Eve experiencing peace with God. And because they had this peace with God, they were able to experience the peace of God in every area of their lives. Well, as we've already seen and as we know from experience, this state of peace, this state of peace with God and flowing from this, peace with everything else has been lost. I think we all know in our heart of hearts that we are not in Eden anymore. And that's because of the story of the fall. You see, because of our sin, because of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, their relationship with him was ruptured. They no longer had the peace with God that they experienced in the garden, and they were now at war with him. They were now his enemy. The peace with God that they were created to experience had been lost. And because they lost this peace with God, we see that it was impossible for them to experience peace in the rest of their lives. Just a quick reading of Genesis 3 will show that as a result of Adam and Eve's loss of peace with God, it first leads to the fracturing of their relationship with each other. And now we see all human relationships fractured but it also affected their relationship with creation and culture. We see that they would no longer work and play in a creation at peace. And it's at this moment that our anxious age began. 
Because while social commentators today might talk about our anxious age as if it were a new phenomenon, Genesis 3 shows us that this isn't the case at all. But from the moment that Adam and Eve rebelled against God, destroying the peace that they had with him, their lives were filled with anxiety, fear, worry, conflict. Their lives were, were filled with stress as they experienced a constant state of unsettledness, I'm sure plagued by worst-case scenarios and endless what-ifs, just like you and I. And this has been the experience of all peoples down to each and every one of our lives this morning. Because you see, there is no lasting experience of peace apart from peace with God. As C.S. Lewis so helpfully pointed out, he said that God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. As we look around at our lives, our experience in the world, as we look around at the culture and the world around us, and we just see as clear as day this lack of peace, this constant state of anxiety and worry. As we relate back to George MacDonald, as we all relate with this feeling of weary, of being weary with weariness and strife, Genesis 3 shows us why. It's because there is no way that we can experience peace in this world, peace in our relationships with one another, unless we are at peace with God. Because peace is not there apart from him. There is no such thing. So for you and me, if we are ever going to experience this state of peace again, we must first have peace with God. Our relationship with him must be repaired and restored. And as we continue our survey of the Bible, as we continue the, the narrative arc of Scripture, we see that this is exactly what happens as we turn to redemption, the reality of redemption. But the amazing thing is that it doesn't happen as you and I would expect. Because I think if, if you and I were writing this story think that we would have required Adam and Eve to come up with a plan to make things right with God. I think the, the pressure would have been all on Adam and Eve to, for them to make peace with God on their own. But thankfully, the God of the Bible isn't like you and me. Because rather than leaving us to figure things out on our own, in the storyline of Scripture, we see that the God of grace and mercy takes the initiative to make peace with us. That's what Christmas and Advent show us. It shows us that God takes the initiative to make peace with us. He does this by dealing with our sin. Because apart from the forgiveness of sins, we cannot be at peace with him. And so as we look at the storyline of Scripture here, we see that God first aims to deal with our sin by giving the people, the nation of Israel, the sacrificial system. Through the daily, weekly, and yearly sacrifices, God was making forgiveness and peace with him possible. But we quickly see that despite God's provision of the sacrificial system as a means of making peace with him, we see that something more is going to be needed. 
And so that is why throughout the Old Testament, we see the writers, especially the prophets, writing about a coming redeemer, writing about a Messiah, the one who's going to come, who will embody peace and who will bring peace to his people. I think we heard one of these prophecies earlier in Micah chapter 5. Listen to part of it again. Micah writing to the exiled nation of Israel, he says, But to you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And hear this about the one who will come. And he shall be their peace. The coming Redeemer, the one who will come from Bethlehem, He is the one who will bring peace to God's people. He will bring peace because he will be their peace. Perhaps the most famous passage that speaks about the one who will come bringing peace is found in Isaiah chapter 9, the passage that we'll hear read next week where, where the prophet says to the nation of Israel, he says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He continues, and of the increase of his government, the Prince of Peace, of that peace, there will be no end. Oh, Grace Church, the the Redeemer who will come, the one that God will send to initiate and to bring peace with God will be called the Prince of Peace, and he will come bringing a kingdom of peace that will have no end. And here, I hope, you're beginning to connect the dots between having peace with God and Christmas. Because we know who this Prince of Peace is. We know who the one who is coming, the one who will come from Bethlehem is. We know that it is Jesus. He is the one that we celebrate at Christmas, and it is fitting that we do because it is in the incarnation, the moment when God the Son becomes human, the moment where he takes on flesh, that God takes the initiative to make peace with us. It's in the incarnation that we see that we are not the ones who come to God, but that he is the one who comes to us to restore our broken and ruptured relationship with him. This is why Paul says so clearly in Romans 5.1 that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. As we saw earlier, peace with God must come through someone or something. It first came through the sacrificial system, but ultimately we saw that that was pointing forward to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace. It is through Jesus that you and I are enabled to experience this peace with God. Speaking of Jesus, Isaiah 53, in these well-known words, says that he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
You see, we can have peace with God right now because Jesus himself bore the penalty for the sins of all who believe, taking the wrath of God upon himself that you and I might only know and experience his peace, that we might have peace with him. As we think about life in this anxious age, I just wonder, are you longing for peace? Perhaps are you finding peace elusive in life right now? Think the invitation this morning from Romans 5, the invitation to us this Advent and Christmas season is to look to Jesus, to look to his incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection that restores our relationship with Jesus, that gives us peace with God. Because as we saw earlier, the only way that we will be able to experience peace in this life is by experiencing first peace with God. We must first have peace with God if we are going to experience the peace of God. So perhaps for those of you who are here who have yet to to trust in Christ, perhaps you are here this morning and this Christian thing is new to you. You are are uncertain as to whether what what the Bible has to say about who Jesus is or what the Bible says about you is a true thing this morning. I would just encourage you to think about this longing for peace that I know you have to consider the weariness that is characterizing your life right now and to see the peace with God that Jesus is offering to you because in his incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas, he has taken the initiative to make peace with, for you to have peace with God so that as a result of this peace with him, you might experience peace in your relationships with one another. You might experience peace in the world and in the circumstances and the realities of life going on. It doesn't take away the difficulties. It doesn't take away the realities of pain and sorrow and suffering. But as we look to the cross, as we look to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we know and we can have absolute assurance that even in the midst of all of that, knowing that we have peace with God, we can experience his peace right now. We can experience the peace that Paul says in, in Philippians, this peace that passes all understanding. Look to Jesus, experience peace with God. Think for those of you who are, for those of us who are here who are already entrusting, who are already trusting in Jesus, think the implications of the applications for us this morning are very much the same. Think in the the midst of the very real things in our anxious age that tempt our hearts to worry. I think the invitation as we look to the cross is to realize that we, can, that we have real and objective and lasting peace with God right now, and that changes everything. 
that you and I, because of what Jesus has done for us, have an objective peace with God that fundamentally changes our being in the world. It changes the way that we live and move and have our being in this anxious age because we know that because we have peace with God, we can experience peace. We can experience this subjective element of peace in our day-to-day life, knowing that things are ultimately going to be okay because we have peace with God. This objective peace with God enables us to experience the subjective peace of God. So this morning, I would just encourage you and invite you to to look to Jesus and to see that he who died to bring us peace with God, he has also given us his Holy Spirit, the spirit of peace, who fills our hearts with peace, enabling us to say, I just kept thinking of that, that hymn, it is well with our souls. Think that is what the spirit of peace does for us. That is what the Prince of Peace can do for you right now in the midst of whatever is causing you weariness and anxiety in life is he can enable you to say that it is well with your soul even in the midst of hard and difficult realities because we have peace with God. So where do you need to be reminded of this this morning? What are the situations weighing on you this morning? Could be fear of an unknown future for you, for a loved one. Could be a situation at work that is causing you stress. As we think about Christmas, as we think about Advent, we see that the gift of peace is being offered to us right now. I would encourage you again to look to Jesus, especially his incarnation this Advent season, and reflect on the peace that he has already brought you. And from this objective place of peace, ask the Spirit to let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. This is a much better alternative than looking for peace anywhere else. This past week, I was running with a, we're running with a very dear friend who's, who's not a, a Christian, as we were, we were running, he had mentioned he had trouble sleeping the night before, he was, um, and, and he was so kind to allow me to ask him, hey, was something weighing on your mind? Was something weighing on you that was kind of keeping you up at night, not enabling you to fall asleep? And he was kind to open up and share about how he had been anxious with the situation at work. This, this situation had been, been keeping him up, and he had mentioned how this had been something that had been going on for quite some time now. I think it's a reality that you and I can all relate to. So I asked him, hey, in the midst of those moments, what's, what's helpful to you? In the midst of this anxiety, in the midst of this stress that's, that's keeping you up at night, what is, what is helpful to you? And I was... I was just so saddened by his reply. He went on to explain how in the midst of these situations, what, what he likes to do, and, and I mean, helpful things for sure, is he, is he likes to just make sure he's not catastrophizing these situations, make sure he's not, you know, thinking through these worst-case scenarios, but just reminding himself of that things aren't as bad as he thinks they are. And then he just said that when that's not working, he always keeps a book on his phone that he can read until he falls asleep. 
Those aren't bad or, or those things can be helpful reading a book to help you fall to sleep. But as we look at Christmas, as we look at Advent, there is so much more that is being offered to us in the gospel in the midst of the anxieties that we all experience because we are offered peace with God that enables us to experience peace in our day-to-day -day lives. We're not just left reading a book to help us fall asleep, but we can look to Jesus and we can have this settled peace in our souls that we know that things are going to be okay. Because the one who died on the cross to make peace with us, to make peace with God for us, is with us and he is in us and he desires to continue to give us peace. That's so much better than what the world offers us. And we do all of this just to lastly and quickly highlight the, the, to finish our arc of the storyline of scriptures. We see that this peace with God that enables us to experience the su subjective peace of God in this day-to-day -day life is a reality that you and I can experience right now. But as Advent reminds us, it's an experience that we are also looking forward to because we are still a people looking forward to Christ's second coming. We are looking forward to the time when he will come and the peace that he's brought to our hearts, where we see that he will, the peace that he has accomplished between us and him, this experience of peace will go universal as everything will fully and finally be at peace. Only this time, it will be better than Eden because it will never end. Brothers and sisters, our immediate futures might be unknown to us, but we all know what our ultimate future is. And the reality of this ultimate future in the new heavens and the new earth where we will experience peace, where the wolf will lie down with the lamb, where everything will be at peace, that is meant to fill us with hope now. Brothers and sisters, we do live in an anxious age. That is true. But thanks be to God that because of Christmas, we can experience peace. We can experience peace with God and a reconciled relationship with him that enables us to experience the peace of God, no matter what we are facing today. As we close, Scott, I want to invite you and the band to come forward. I want to invite the ushers to prepare to serve the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, I just want to give each of us a moment here to, to reflect on what's causing us weariness in life right now. To reflect on the anxieties, the things weighing on our hearts. And as we do, just want to give you a mo moment to take those to the Lord. To ask him to experience his peace in the midst of this anxious age and to have great hope, great confidence that you can experience that peace because we have been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Take a moment. O Prince of Peace, we thank you for coming. 
We thank you for pursuing, taking the initiative to bring us to God, that we might experience the peace that our hearts long for. Father, as we look back to your first coming, as we look forward to the second coming, we pray that you would meet us and fill us with peace. Father, with a settled confidence that you are with us, that you are near to us, and that you have given us your peace. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close, we want to close by taking the Lord's Supper together. A a wonderful, wonderful reminder of the peace that we have with God as we share a meal with the risen Christ because of what he has done for us in his incarnation, life, death, and resurrection. So in just a moment, when you are ready, you can come forward, you receive a piece of the bread, grab a cup of the juice or the wine, hold on to them, take them back to your seats. We are going to take the Lord's Supper together. We're going to take communion in community. But as you hold on to those elements, reflect on Christ, reflect on the peace that we have with God. And if you feel so bold, speak a word of peace to someone around you as well. You can come forward when you're ready.
we do this. Because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, let us stand and let us respond and reflect on this peace that we have because of what Christ has done for us.